Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Daniel Storey of Football 365 and David Priest, goalkeeper, coach and columnist. No anger, no anguish, no shame, no scapegoats. For England, this is not the end, but the end of the beginning. They've not got a monopoly on youth, but they'll be in a better place come the next World Cup cycle. Now, Dan, as you wrote, defeat but not defeatism. Does that sum it up? Yeah, I think it does. I think we have to put World Cup 2018 in the context of other major tournaments and recent major tournaments. England are coming off the back of probably their two most disappointing tournament displays. World Cup 2014, their worst ever World Cup performance, Euro 2016 losing to Iceland. And the apathy amongst supporters following those tournaments was as low as I think it's probably ever been. So to recapture the supporters, uh, to reach a World Cup semi-final, to win a penalty shootout, to hammer weak teams that we've never done before, uh, and to have faith in the process and, and where this is going is, is hugely positive. So the biggest achievement is respect and maybe relevance. But presumably the biggest disappointment, David, is you know, the proximity of, of the biggest prize of the lot. Yeah. And you, you can have uh, sort of both emotions. You can be disappointed that we didn't get to the final because of the, the, the path that we had there. It's, we'd be hard pushed if we're going to get another, another path as easy as that. But also, then there's, you can still feel a lot of pride in, in what they've done. And like, like Dan said, you know, comparing it to sort of 66 or 1990, okay, it mightn't seem a huge achievement. But coming from, from where we have two years ago, it's been a huge, huge improvement. And, 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 and not just that, it's given us hope for the, for the future. I know sometimes we can, we can look too far ahead and think, oh, well, we're planning for the next World Cup or the next Euros. But it was great to just be able to, to see what's happening now and, and enjoy it. And we, we have enjoyed it. Mm. Will the chance like this ever come again? Because if you look around at the moment, you've got teams who are in a, an immediate form of transition. You know, the Argentinas of this world. Yep. Um, Italy, Netherlands didn't get to the World Cup. Uh, where are England in that sort of grand scheme of things? To me, this tournament has, has reinforced the principle that England are a second tier team. Um, I think we started the tournament as a third tier team and I think we've become a second tier team. I don't think we're on that highest level yet. I don't think we are yet a regular semi-final participant. Um, but we have to remember that if, if, if France are in transition with, with young players coming through and might win the tournament, if the countries you mentioned are also in transition, so are England. 
Um, if you look at our youth performance in 2017, the Under-20 World Cup, the Under-19 European Championships, the Under-17 European Championships, we've performed at every level. So we have to be confident that, that, that if we get the processes and pathways right, we can maximise that. Mm. Let's drill down into that development pathway, David. Um, I think we're all aware that one of the great failings of the England team is a lack of creativity in mm. midfield. So if we look at someone like Phil Foden, who might come through at Manchester City, he's the one they seem to be banking on. Uh, you look at Jadon Sancho, who's got something about him and is doing well at Dortmund. And maybe even a completely left-field candidate like Jack Grealish. He gets a big move mm. to say Tottenham, he develops. Are those the sort of players we're looking for? Yeah, definitely. You can put Adam Ola Luckman in there as well. And, but the, the, the most important thing is they get minutes now. That they're not just lost or they're not set back again by not having first-team football. So from the FA's point of view, they need to be pushing those players and getting in their ear and saying, look, you know, you might be enjoying your club, you might have a future at that club, but right now you need to progress and make a progression into, uh, into where we want to be in two years' time. So if you do this you'll be involved and you, or you'll have a great chance of playing because this is how we see it going and rather than just wait and see what happens and, and let them you know, develop at their own pace, they've got to be pushed now. I think the, the one, probably the biggest win from this tournament is that when the next England squad gets announced in September, October, young players want to be in that mm. squad now. There's no, the prioritisation of club over country may never change because of the money involved, but there is a, a pride now in getting into that England squad mm. and that will, as Dave says, that will hopefully drive those young players to get minutes. But it's not just about them wanting to be in there. Of course, all young players have wanted to be in there, but there's been a sort of, they've been blocked by the same names being in there regardless of form. They're just on their, uh, they're on their reputations. That won't happen now. You can see what happened. If someone deserves to be in there and they, they can fit inside or improve on what's gone before, then they'll be put straight in there. And then it's up to the person they replace to get back into the squad mm. again. Yeah, let's look at maybe the, you know, the two wide, maybe wing-backs. Um, Alexander Trent-Arnold. Yeah. Uh, he will be a Liverpool regular, it seems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looks like Nathaniel Klein, through circumstance, has lost his place. You've got Ryan Sessignon at Fulham, who will benefit from a full season in the Premier League. Are those two players ones you'd expect to actually cement their place quite quickly? Yeah, and I think importantly for, for Gareth Southgate, and at club level as well, um, they're both multifunctional footballers. Sessignon started as a, a left-back, but has played as a kind of left-sided mm. forward for Fulham, and we can also... Pretty obviously, see playing as a wing back. Trent Alexander Arnold has played centre back, right back, right wing back, central midfield. So, Gareth Southgate has spoke many times before and in the build at this tournament about him him enjoying and, and liking and appreciating multifunctional footballers, players that are good in a squad because they can do different jobs and they can put competition, improve competition for places on different players. That can only help them at club level to get more minutes. Um, and yeah, I think both will be regular player, Premier League players this season. If that's the case, they'll be knocking on the door of the England squad straight away. Mm. Anyone else that you think might come in? You know, I've, I've looked at someone like you know, Mason Mount, who's done brilliantly in Holland for Chelsea, mm. but he's in that Chelsea void at the moment. Where does he go to get meaningful time? I think they're... 
what Gareth Southgate has done brilliantly since he came into the job. He's looked at the team and said, how can we get each player to function to the best of their ability? So he started at Harry Kane and, you know, he was very isolated in the last championship. So he got players around him that would work beyond him and support him as well. Um, play uh, Raheem Sterling in a role, or try and get him in positions that he's used to getting the ball and, you know, whether it's finishing or being able to create something for Manchester City. The problem they have now at the moment that we've seen in this uh, in this World Cup is that there's something missing in that midfield area. You know the system that they played is all, you know we get over we can get overrun by uh, by opposition if they take advantage of that by uh, if they have a good midfield. Jordan Henderson against Croatia is an example. Yeah, of course. And then you've mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold there. He's already played midfield for uh, for Liverpool. I think a lot of people see him in the future playing that position as well. So again, it's we've got wealth of talent. I think it's sort of in wide areas. You know, you could even have Kyle Walker, Trippier, uh, Alexander Arnold, Joe Gomez can come into that as well. On that right hand side, mm-hmm. left hand side, there's, there's lots on the other side. So it's it's about you know fitting them into the, the position so it's it helps the side. And like I said, Southgate will will look at that, and that will be his main focus. I think at the moment, even if that precipitates a change of system. We've seen that Southgate mm. used four at the back during qualifying and then changed that up for in preparation for this tournament. Don't be surprised if this 3-5-2 some suddenly becomes a 3-4-3 or even goes back to four at the back. He's, he's shown his willingness to be flexible and that can only help when you're playing different teams because one thing England have been traditionally poor at, and I think we're probably poor against Croatia as well, is changing things up, mm. changing the mood, changing the gear mid-game. We, we quite easily get pigeonholed into a way of playing and then find it very difficult to move out of that and that's something that he will have to learn from this World Cup. Yeah. That's not easy to do either you know when you when you haven't got players day to day over a period of months it's difficult to instill different styles of playing uh, into those players so they can switch at the, at the drop of a hat and he's been able to do that and that's a, you know, that's a great plus for him. Yeah so. but also you know, the, the, the essential frustration of the England job is that you're beholden to club managers. Mm. So, for instance, if for some reason Jurgen Klopp didn't take a fancy to Gomez, well, you know, we all know he does like him, but he has to rely on, on Klopp almost trusting his job in young English players. Yeah, but they have a great, I think they have a great relationship with the clubs now. Mm. Gavis try to do that because, you, you know, he's benefited from the management styles of uh, Pep Guardiola and um, Pochettino. We make up a lot of his side from those uh, from those clubs, and so he, he knows that if he can get the best out of them from the clubs where they're playing very well, then he has to do that as well. Mm. Just if I've got you on, on goalkeepers for a second, and we're looking at potentially people breaking into the squad, um, Angus Gunn is another one who's going to get regular. Premier League football at Southampton, £10 million from Manchester City after a good loan spell last season at Norwich. Would you expect him to put pressure on the three who are there now? Yeah, as long as he's playing well. I think it's, you know, at Burnley you've got obviously Tom Heaton and Nick Pope. That's going to be a huge battle this summer. The pre-season games are going to have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of meaning for the both of them because it's, it could stunt Nick's progress. Uh, I'm sure Tom Heaton will, will want to play as well, so there might even be movement there, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, if Sean Dyche wants to pick Nick Pope, then Tom maybe has to go somewhere else to play his football. So it's and it's just people were talking about before the uh, before the tournament about goalkeepers and we haven't got a real number one. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a weakness though, you know. Uh, we've got strength and depth now, and, and and Angus is one of them where he's, he's making the next step up. 
He obviously played at Norwich last season. And now this is the next step for him. It's a great test. And I think, you know, talking about what's come out of this tournament, one thing that's come out of this tournament is that Jordan Pickford is a big game player. And he's answered a lot of critics. He's answered a lot of doubters. And, uh, and I think uh, throughout the side, people have done that, but particularly with him. Mm. Someone who's answered the doubters probably better than almost anyone else is Gareth Southgate himself. Mm -hmm. it, we're quite rightly looking at and lauding his decency. Yep. What about his acumen tactically? What does he need to do? What more could he have done in Russia, do you think? I, I'm not sure about in Russia. I think, I think he pretty much got everything right until the last probably 60, 70 minutes of last of the game against Croatia, the defeat. Um, to my mind, uh, it, as soon as England had wasted those first half chances, it seemed pretty obvious that Croatia would be given a rocket at half-time and would come out with more control, and that's exactly what they did. But England did play a part in their own downfall. They did sit deep, which is incredibly hard not to do yeah. when you're a young side and this is a, a stage you've never been on before. Um, but as soon as that equaliser went in, there was no change-up of system. Um, we, we brought off Sterling for Rashford and effectively told Rashford to play the same role. We brought off Henderson for Dyer and effectively told Dyer to play the same role. There was never actually a change of shape. And I do wonder if Southgate had his time again, maybe he would bring off Ali for, for Loftus-Cheek or Delft to bring more some, some more control or um, maybe even bring on a different player instead of Rashford to, to just try and link the midfield and attack a bit more because they were getting very isolated. Um, but I should say, to be positive, the, we are talking about fine margins in a World Cup semi-final, which we never really thought mm. we'd be doing. So, broadly positive on Southgate. But he, he, has, a, he has things to learn, and, and he would have admitted that going into the tournament, I think. Mm. As a player, do you respond better to an emotionally intelligent, almost touchy-feely manager like a Southgate, or a bit of a Martinet who you know, believes in what they call creative tension? I think when you get to that level, uh, there's very few players' needs kicks up the backside week in, week out. And if, we see it often now that it loses effect after a while. You know, you have to save it for once or twice a season if you're a club manager. It's uh, it's at national level, it's so much more important to get people on side. And you know, it's probably more important to, to create a, a better environment for them to play in together rather than systems or, or you know, I said, you know, getting one-to-one -one, uh, motivation out of somebody. So if you can create that group environment, which he has done, that people enjoy being in, and there's no friction anywhere. And that was his biggest plus, that you know, he created that environment. He said about he wanted good tourists, mm. and, and that played a huge part in, uh, in, in what they did in Russia. Mm, yeah, character's a great thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, let's look at some of the plus points, and there are many of them. Mm -hmm. You know, perhaps principally Kieran Trippier. You know, the Barry Beckham after that free kick. Um, he again has proved a lot of people wrong. Will he establish himself at club level and, go, and kick on this season, do you think? I think he, I think Gareth Southgate has certainly shown Richard Pochettino perhaps something he didn't know about Kieran Trippier. I think we all saw him as a um, jobbing is very harsh, but a, a, a regulation wing-back, someone that's very comfortable going forward and can do a decent job defensively. I think in this tournament he probably did only do a decent job defensively. I think the back three were... Um, Carl Walker covered for him brilliantly, which was the idea. But going forward, he's been a revelation. Some of his crossing has been sensational. And 
against Croatia, there was a there was a volleyed cross where the ball came over to him, and the technique was absolutely superb. Mm. Um, he's not scored a goal for two and a half years, and that free kick, as you say, looked Beckham-esque. It was so <laughs> assured. So I think maybe less in terms of ability, but certainly in terms of big game performance, we've seen something we didn't realise about Kieran Trippier. Mm. How much of a nightmare is it for a goalkeeper, uh, David, when you get crosses of that quality coming in consistently into your box? Does yeah. it play in your mind? Yeah, of course, and, and I think uh, especially the quality that he, he's got, he's not really putting it in uh, as a target for somebody. He's putting it in an area, and the best quality he's got is that's he said before that he models his game on Beckham. He doesn't need that. Uh, he doesn't need to beat a man. He doesn't need um, much space to put the ball in. He just needs that defender in front of him to give him a guide, just to put the ball round him. And the shape that he puts on the ball, puts it in the area that it's just so inviting for for uh, for strikers and a nightmare for especially not just for goalkeepers but for defenders because if if they're going back towards their own goal, it's a, it's a nightmare that they might just uh, get a touch on it and, and score an own goal. Mm. Only six shots on goal uh, from open play in mm. 600 minutes, I think the, mm. the stat is. Um, what does that say about England? And what does that say about what they need to do that they haven't been doing? I think going into this tournament, we, we appreciated that we were, we were lacking midfield creativity. Harry Kane doesn't have a Christian Eriksen at England level, therefore he had to change his game. And he did it, I think, in a very selfless way, dropping deep, linking play, letting Sterling and Ali and Lingard run beyond him. Um, it would be brilliant to find a midfield creator that meant Kane could play his, his Tottenham role, but I don't see one of those fitting, probably not in the next two years, mm. because it takes a lot of work. Um, so England have to either stick with the plan they've got and hope that players are, are at their best, and I don't think Deli Ali has been at his best in this tournament for mm. one, or they have to hit on a system that gets players even closer to Kane, because last night, Southgate stuck with two up front, but which seems attacking. But actually, if you're not servicing either of them, um, and in the end it was just Jordan Henson playing kind of speculative long mm. balls and hoping for the best, mm. and that's not the way to service Harry Kane, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, we, we do need more midfield creativity, but it's not, it's not a thing you can force. You can't fake it. You have to find the right option, and we just have to hope one comes through. Yeah, tournament football is all about sustaining yourself, isn't it, physically and mentally. Did... Ali and Kane look fit to you? I think it's always difficult uh, to judge uh, Deli Ali because of uh, the way that he plays the game. I think he, he, very often, I mean, it's it, with a lot of Spurs games, been a lot of Spurs games last season, you see him, Ericsson, uh, Kane, they're, they're not involved in the game a lot of the time. Um, so in an attacking sense, you know, they're not sort of, uh, I don't know, all action players where they're on the ball all the time. Deli Ali's the same. He, you see him in fits and starts, and when you when he does get the ball, you know invariably creates something or he's, he's a danger. Uh, in the I don't, in the early games, he didn't look fit at all. Of course, he didn't. And Harry Kane, I don't know. I think Kane was. I think that injury that was. I think they sold it as cramp against Colombia late on in the mm. last sixteen. I think it was probably more than that. He looked uh, in quite a bit of distress at that time. Yeah, and and I think at that point it was never really mentioned, perhaps deliberately after the kind of the furore of the team leak. Maybe deliberately everyone took a back step and just let Kane get on with it. But since then, I don't think he looked quite at it. That may be the role he was playing in the team, but even last night, 
he was just a little bit laboured when he got on the mm. ball and obviously missed missed two chances which were given offside, but I think would have gone to VAR and would have been goals if he'd have scored them. Yeah, and, and chances like that, it was great for me to see that, that a lot of the build-up play, we were getting central around the box and his movement was very subtle, just dropping off shoulders and he got in a, a couple of times, especially with that chance. Mm. And it was that was what's different about uh, our game to me, that before uh, in, in previous tournaments international teams we've got, we've got uh, to the edge of the box and we kind of run out of ideas so then we go wide and just throw it in the box mm. when there was there was a little bit more patience from likes of Lingard and Ali and Sterling they were looking for those little balls and I just I just think that's where the progress has been made and it was if we just scored that chance mm. you know it would have had a total yeah, different if, complexion if, in the game. If that chance goes in, we're not talking about Southgate's deficiencies on substitutions or maybe yeah. slight flaws in the system. It, yeah. If two letters, very big word, <laughs> very Indeed. big word. Um, let's look at Sterling, since you mentioned him, David. Um, you know, he played in that advanced role, uh, creating space and confusion, but he still hasn't scored. How long is it? How, how long can we wait? For him to actually score the goals that everything else justifies until it's a problem until uh, we aren't scoring goals until we aren't winning games until uh yeah until he isn't getting in those positions and missing chances uh, before then uh, and up till now he's doing a job for the side the side's winning the side's scoring goals he's been a, he's a menace to opposition uh, you know, it's like um, you know we're probably going to talk about Mbappe, but mm. before he gets the ball, Mbappe is a problem for defenders because they're already wondering what they're going through the head. What shall I do here? Do I need to go tight? Do I need to drop off? And he's he's a, holds a similar problem for for his def uh, his opponents. Yeah, and Sweden were terrified of him, mm. and I think that uh, like I said, until it's a problem for for the team and for England, then we start worrying about it. Mm. Let's look a bit further. Back in the team, that that three-man defence, and we'll, we'll we'll take at the moment as read that he might stay with that system. Um, John Stones, he seems to have come of age in this tournament, and there were times within that tournament that he almost was playing a bit like an orthodox centre half, mm -hmm. rather than you know the flowery. Let's play it out. By the way, I'm Franz Beckenbauer. Mm. Um, has he been one of the principal um, assets? Yeah, I was looking earlier at the England squad and of the 12 goalkeepers and defenders England have in this squad, Stones is the second youngest, which shouldn't surprise me, but it did. Trent Alexander-Arnold, the only one younger than him. It's very easy to forget just how young and a central defender he is. And he has come on hugely in this tournament, I think. There were doubts about him when he was struggling to get in the Manchester City team last season at parts of it. But those doubts have now gone. He... he I think there's a sense with Stones that he needs to be noticed to be um, renowned or favoured. He's a kind of, we want him to be an all-action defender marauding out from the back and because we're so used to the John Terry type defenders, but actually Stones is at his best when he's quiet and when you don't notice him and when he's just doing the simple things really well and the team isn't conceding chances. Mm. And yeah, I think he's been magnificent. People notice Harry Maguire because he's the action defender, but... Stones has been as good, if not better. Mm. What does Maguire need to do to improve, do you think? <sighs> do you know what? I mean, I, it took me a long time to, to warm to him. I watched him a lot at Sheffield United and I think I was uh, just, just taken in by the way that he looks physically. 
Uh, he was always looked like he was carrying a little bit of weight. He looked a little bit cumbersome. And then a couple of years ago, I saw him uh, play at West Ham for, for Hull. I think he came on after about half an hour. And he came on at centre-half, then he moved to right-back, and then he played up front. And even when he played up front, he looked great. They were playing balls into him, and he was so composed. And I think, <sighs> say to improve, I don't know, I... I, I I wouldn't say there's one thing he needs to improve, but I just think he gives the team so much more. And when he, he coming forward with, with the ball, there's no fear there and there's, it's got a purpose. He's not just running uh, blind with the ball. And I think uh, he's been a real find. Mm. Now, yeah, bizarrely, they've still got a game to play, the third-place playoff against Belgium, which to me has always been <laughs> you know, the complete non-entity of yeah. a football match. Um, Given they've got to fulfil the fixture and it might be worth an extra couple of million quid if they win it, does Southgate say, and we'll have Belgium mark two and he'll just basically play the reserves? Yeah, I think he probably will. I think any player who is viewed to be slightly struggling for fitness, so Ali and Kane particularly, I don't think will play. Uh, any player who has not yet started a match, I think will probably play. Um, so yeah, I think he will make huge amount of changes. I think he will give minutes to the light again to the likes of Alexander Arnold. What would be interesting is if Southgate tried to change system a little bit or play players maybe slightly out of position than they normally would, because this is a non-entity and it's a nonsense the game. I don't know why they play it, but it's also a free roll of the dice. It's a good chance to go. Do you know what? Let's see what you like in an England shirt because if you pick Trent Alexander Arnold against Belgium, he will be trying his best mm. because he knows that there's. there's you know, there's qualifiers and UEFA Nation League games down the road. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see if he changes things around a bit, but, yeah, not full strength. I, I just I just hope he looks back at the Belgian game from the group stages and says, well, what did we do wrong in that game? What can I change in this? Mm. Almost see it as a second leg mm. and, and see if we can turn it around. Mm. Uh, would you I, change the goalie? Yeah, I would, yeah. And, and that's simply just to, uh, just to give experience and, and reward somebody like Jack Butland um, for... Yeah, for, for what he's done, and he, I think it's uh, a lot. Jordan has come a long way in a short space of time. John Pickford, I think, will have taken a lot out of him, especially. I mean, yeah, last last night, I was. I, do you know what? I'm just so proud of the likes of him and Jordan Henderson because a couple of lads from Sunderland, and, and then they're in the World Cup semi-final, and just see him. He 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 looks like he should be there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even give him, you know, when he uh, slid him uh, with Mandzukic and he's given him a little bit in the floor. And I, I know it wasn't to some people's liking, but I love that. You know, he's just, he, he's there with world-class strikers and he's standing up with them. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to sort of interject with a few questions from the, the listeners and the viewers. Uh, Mark Sanderson. I've loved the tournament, Southgate 2, and while the team has been great... He won't be scared to blood new players in the Euro qualifiers. There are no sacred cows with Gareth. That's very refreshing, right? Absolutely. Um, I suspect Danny Welbeck might not see another England squad. I suspect Ashley Young might even not see another England squad at 33 now. Um, the likes of Adam Lalana, who needs to get fit. Jack Wilshire wasn't in this squad. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's made the England team a, a meritocracy, which it wasn't for a long, long time. Um, but more importantly, it gives the younger players coming through incentive to impress in every minute at club level because um, the way the game is now, Southgate won't miss a minute of action. He might be watching one team on a Saturday, but he will watch everything. So everyone now has a reason to impress, which is great. Mm. Retirement of a player is obviously the most difficult decision. 
But if you're someone like Ashley Young, you might see the writing on the wall and it's quite good to actually go out at the top, as it were. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so as well. You'll probably see that. And I think, especially when you've got the, the people behind you, um, that he has the likes of Sessignon and uh, and uh, Danny Rose. And I think you'll see that. He's kind of, this has been his sort of, his second wind. It was kind of, mm. you know, it's been a bit of a bonus for him. And to, to go out on, on top now would be, uh, yeah, I think be more fitting for him. Cahill's probably the other one yeah. as well, who was a bit of a surprise name for this tournament anyway. Didn't play in the, the, the friendlies in March, didn't start in the friendlies in November. Uh, came in, I think, as a bit of a Joe Hart replacement for experience, but Hart has only played against the Bel in the Belgium game, so I think he's probably another one who will mm. think that's probably enough now. Yeah. Another Hart, Nick Hart. Um, were we the World Cup's Tottenham? A decent side with flaws, but not quite top table. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean, I wouldn't... I know people's perception of Tottenham is that they're, you know, bottlers and that they, they throw things away, but we've we've got more at this tournament that's we're probably the talent justified, you know, mm. and the, the squad justified. And, uh, yeah, I'd go along with that. And, and in the same way that Spurs, there's, there's still room for improvement with Spurs and with more experience, you'd... You know, you wouldn't bet against them winning something. So, yeah, I hope to see him for England. Mm. Guna boy, if England had gone all the way in this World Cup and won it, would it have diminished the notion that the lack of a winter break in the Premier League is the main reason for not doing well in big tournaments? I don't even think we need the if clause at the start. I think he already has done that. Um, there are reasons to bring in a winter break um, outside of the performance of the England national team, uh, namely the suspicion, I think probably accurate suspicion, that the quality of the Premier League drops off slightly in February and March because players are tired. But uh, I don't think in terms of the national team that this has shown anything. Germany have been proponents of the winter break for a long time and have failed in this tournament. We have not had one this summer and we've done all right. So, yeah, I think that already is a bit of a nonsense. But I, do, I, I, I don't disagree with the winter break, I should say. The way they've done it, they've staggered it. So there's no huge gap from football. I, I, I think it's fine. But that squad... That England squad's going to be shattered. If, if we're expecting them to turn up for, to play in the Premier League in, what, three or four weeks, mm. they, that can't work, surely, can it? I think you've got, we've got the Community Shields three weeks' time. I think. Mm. Yeah. And you're right, they are going to be shattered. And, but this thing with the winter break, because I'm, I'm a little bit torn with it, I think it's a good idea. And I'd rather we just got rid of, you know, a glut of games over the uh, over the festive period, because once that happens, if there's players playing all those minutes, then they're in a sort of like a deficit fitness-wise, and then they're always playing catch-up. But then we'll have, the, you know, I know we'll have the winter break, and then play, uh, teams won't want to be going back into the Premier League cold, so they will be playing games. There's no, no doubt about it. They will be, you know, whether it's in warm weather, training or whether they'll go and play friendly games. And okay, they'll be a little bit more low-key. They won't be put as much effort into it. But it's they'll still be playing, you know, ninety minutes and keeping the fitness up. Mm -hmm. A final one from Craig Griffiths. Um, as this team was forged in the football league, what does the panel think should be done to ensure young players aren't hoarded by the Premier League clubs and that the lower league clubs can get proper financial reward for developing those players? Yeah, I think there's two questions there. The, the first thing is that there's no way to persuade Premier League clubs not to hoard players. If they're allowed to do so, and they are allowed to do so, nothing will stop them doing that. It's in their interest too. We know that because 
Manchester City an example, and I don't think they're the biggest hoarder of players, but they can keep they can have Angus gone for a, for a number of years and then sell him for ten million without ever having played for them. Nothing will stop them doing that. I think the responsibility has to lie with the players now and the people advising the players. They have there will be players who think I could break my leg in training next week, so why shouldn't I get a one million pound <coughs> signing on for yeah. you at a big club and get some good wages? And I fully understand that. But there will also be more players now, I hope, who look at this tournament and think, I want to be part of that. Mm. And in order to be part of that, I can see that players have started at Oldershot and Berry and Darlington and Burton, etc. So I'm going to do the same. Mm. Uh, it was really interesting to hear Pickford talking about why would I be under pressure in a World Cup semi-final when I've been screamed at by fans in low, uh, at Crington. And that's exactly right. It, it teaches you so much. It's the pathway that the players want to choose now. Speaking of Dean Henderson under-21s keeper, you know, he's just desperate to get out and play, that's all he wants to do, you know, he's at Manchester United, but he realises, okay, I'm not going to play ahead of the gear, so I, I want to play games, and they realise how important it is, it's great when you're at a big club, you don't ever want to uh, uh, move away from that big club, especially if, you, if, if you've been a fan or you've been there for years, you want to play for that first team, but you know, you've got to realise it. You can't get there unless you're playing games, and yeah. and it's so important. And uh, yeah. it's the same with another young goalkeeper, isn't it? Freddie Woodman at, at Newcastle. He's got yeah. to get out. Yeah, I mean we spoke about Angus Gunn, and in my eyes, he should have been out doing this a long time ago. You know, uh, a few years before, he should have been in League Two and League One. You know, making those gradual, uh, incremental steps. And uh, luckily, it's worked out for him. But I said he could have had uh, could have had another hundred games under his belt. Mm. Let's look forward to the final. Um, it strikes me that France have been the biggest winner on successive nights. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to be facing a Croatian team, average age around about, what, 29, mm. having gone through three successive uh, extra times, and France have had an extra day to prepare. Yeah, I think France will be comfortable favourites anyway, but even more so now. Um, what Croatia lack in quality or energy to France, they don't lack in fight. You know, mm. there's no coincidence they've come back in from a goal down in mm. those three games and they've won every game after extra time or penalties. They are fighters and they will they will go through exactly the same again against France. And the only doubt about France is the year 2016 final because they, you know, we talk about bottling it. That was a, the best team in that game by a long way, the best team in that tournament by a long way, and they, they did bottle it. Um, other than that, France should be comfortable winners. They've got their far, far outweigh Croatia on quality, and and the way Sterling was able to pull a defender out. Kylian Mbappe is the mm. is the superstar version of Sterling at the moment. Uh, he will do that even more. Mm. Mbappe, the face of this World Cup. Now you know that that uh, back heel that he did, mm. which was you know sex on legs basically, wasn't it? Brilliant. Um, is that almost as iconic in this era as? The Cruyff term was in his. Yeah, I don't know if you'll ever get more iconic than that. But I mean, it's um, he's shown a lot more to his game as well. You know, some of the, uh, he's if he's been playing at wide, some of these, the, the, his passing in the build-up play has been exceptional. You know, he's shown vision and awareness because when the balls come into him, you know, we talked about I was talking about defenders not knowing what to do. He's almost got. He can almost see it out of his ear because he can see he can see them coming towards him. He knows exactly what he's going to do with the ball, and uh, it's he's not just all about uh, explosive pace. But I mean, he's got it in abundance. Why wouldn't he use it? You know. The, mm. the thing I've noticed that I didn't really know about Mbappe before this tournament is he's prepared to have a you know, go toe to toe mm. with the player as well. He's got some needle to him. 
one of the themes of this tournament has been the biggest players in, in Neymar, who is sold as the kind of star of this tournament, you know, the rolling around and the play acting. And Mbappe does a bit of that, but he also you know, stands up mm. and fights for himself as well. For a, for a winger and for a wide player, there's an awful lot of brawn to him as well. For, for, for players with his pace, especially at that level, Sometimes it's too simplistic for them just to push the ball past the defender and go by them. They want to do something in, uh, a little bit more that, uh, that gets him into trouble. He's not bothered about that. He's, he can be really direct when he wants to be as brilliant. Then he can rip any team apart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on absolutely. His own. Yeah. Um, Pogba. Um, he's finally doing a bit of the dirty work, it seems mm. to me. Um, is that because he's actually found a manager in Deschamps who actually trusts him? I don't know about that. I think I think what's happened with, I hope what's happened with Paul Pogba is that he he's understood he he disappointed last season, um, and he's decided he wants to take the World Cup and, and use that as a point to impress. I think having plays Matuidi on the opposite side is hugely helpful because he's a kind of quasi left-sided player, quasi centre midfielder, and he drags a player out. Um, and also having Angola Kanti, the perfect defensive screen behind him, helps. But I think I said on this podcast before, the thing that's impressed me about Pogba is he's not tried to do everything. Mm. He's done things simply. And he's, when, when he does things simply, he does them incredibly well. Mm. And suddenly, like with a Tony Cruz or a Luka Modric, suddenly you realise just how good a player is when they're doing simple things well than if they're trying to do everything. And I think sometimes at club level, Pogba is too desperate to impress, mm. whereas he doesn't feel the need to do that at France. Mm. Goalkeepers are rarely short of an opinion, David, <laughs> you know, which is great as far as you're concerned, I'm sure. Um, Courtois, talk, talking about France being just an anti-football team. Discuss. Yeah, I suppose a little bit of sour grapes as well, you know, but it's when, when managers, uh, you know, who like to play football come out and say that... Uh, it, it, the teams haven't gone toe to toe with them. Well, why would they? You know, you've got to play the the game tactically. You can't just—it's not a too heavy weight going out and slugging it out and see who the best team wins or who's lucky enough to win. There's got to be a bit of uh, a bit of know-how, a bit of nous about it. A couple of things that's come out. I know that he, he clarified his comments about Jordan Pickford as well, but he's just. Uh, I like him this tournament because he's matured. He's, he's kind of he's stood up to be counted, and his uh, his performances have, have backed up his confidence. But then I just don't think there's any need for for any, for any of these comments. Really, the, he can be disappointed. He's obviously disappointed, but I, 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 surprised I, me a little bit as well. I didn't really think that was him. No, and it's not. But I think it's just he's, he's becoming a man now. He, he's he, he, even though he's I mean what six foot six whatever <laughs> like you know, and, and he's lo looked a man for a long time. He isn't. He's been a boy in goal, shown great maturity, and now he's, you know, he's maybe grown into himself a little bit, and he's thinking, well, no, I don't need to watch my tongue as much. Mm. Do you think he might end up in the whole Real Madrid, Barcelona access? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. Regardless of what happens at Chelsea this summer, I think uh, I think that's been the, the major driving force the, behind his whole attitude and not just attitude, his performance as well. And you've got to say that. Wait and see what happens in the final with uh, with Hugo Lloris. But uh, who's probably in, in control for getting the Golden Glove so far? I think uh, Courtois could definitely be up there as well. Mm, yeah, mentioning Lloris, um, he was saying that he he believes that France are a complete team. Mm. That overstating it a bit? Not on the evidence of the semi-final, I don't think. I think they've got a front. <laughs> you break their team up into sections. You've got a front three with with Antoine Griezmann and Mbappe, facilitated by Giroud, which is 
probably as good as Brazil's front three, which I thought was the best going to this tournament. You've got a midfield three of Matuidi, Kante and Pogba, which is by far the best, and I think Croatia's probably the only one that rivals them there. And then you've got Umtiti and Varane, who, again, I thought Uruguay were the best defensive of the team in this tournament, but watching that second half of the semi-final, that was as good as I've mm. seen as well. Mm. And then the only, in fact, the only player who I doubted going into this tournament, because I didn't know much about him, was Benjamin Pavard, who's probably rivaled Trippier for the best fullback yeah. in the tournament. So, mm. yeah, there really aren't many many weaknesses there whatsoever. Mm. Kante's amazing, isn't he? He's like a replicant, you know. If you look at him, in you know, well, a couple of years, he's won a couple of Premier League titles, you know, around the, always around the voting for Footballer of the Year. Um, again, are we looking at him maybe as another transfer target? Chelsea have got an issue here, haven't they? Mm. Because, you know, they're not going to be uh, slow in coming forward for Hazard as well. But if we look at specifically Kante, he would absolutely make any team tick, wouldn't he? Yeah, and th there's plenty of teams out there who could uh, who could afford to, to shell out for him as well. And in successful sides that French have had in the past, you know, we talk about uh, Deschamps as a player as well. You know, he's famously called the water carrier. By can't I call him mm. a water carrier? Mm. But uh, people need water. You know, t people. Uh, can't function w without him. Giroud's kind of become that sort yeah. of figure for the team, mm. whereas Kanté has just become. He's, he's immense for them, you know. I rightly about him before, and that's the only word I could come up with was immense, because he's he's far more than just somebody who who rats and closes down and uh, and gets wins the ball back for people. You know, he's great with the ball, and uh, he, he's so vital to them. And if said uh, if if somebody comes calling, uh, Chelsea aren't really in a position now where they're going to be. Uh, you know, challenging for a Champions League final or uh, even, I mean, on the evidence of last year, not going to be challenging for, for a title this year. Mm -hmm. Now, Kante, maybe he's not that sort of personality and character who's going to be saying, well, I want to be winning things. He's maybe he's a little bit more humble than that, mm -hmm. but he should be the type of character who expects to, to be playing at clubs who, uh, who are winning Champions Leagues and, and League titles. Mm -hmm. And what about the impact of the movement of Griezmann? You know, you know I'm given to understand that Barcelona were convinced he was going to sign for mm -hmm. them. Uh, and they also almost saw him as the natural replacement for Suarez, who's just beginning to go over the hill. Um, with that defence, that Croatian defence, he should get some joy out of it, shouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, he should. He, he, he's actually not been quite as on it this tournament as I thought he would be, certainly in terms of goal scoring. Um, at Euro 2016, he was France's attacking threat, and that's kind of shifted slightly to Mbappe with his performance in this tournament. But... I mean, he's a, hell of a, he's a hell of a second option to have in terms of running at a defence. And he, the thing with Griezmann is he, he seems to constantly remain level-headed. I know there was the nonsense about the, the, the staying at Atletico Madrid video, and it was a nonsense. It was foolish of him and badly advised, I think. But, but since then, he, he strikes as the ultimate team player. He, he can occasionally be greedy in terms of taking a few shots, but yeah. when France need him... and there's a big moment in the attacking third. It doesn't seem to be Giroud or Mbappe there. It always seems to be Griezmann that's in the right place at the right time. And Yeah, I, I think he'll score in the final on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Goes without saying, doesn't it, that Croatia need Modric to be at his very best. It struck me that he didn't have any real reason to whinge about a perceived lack of respect from England afterwards. No. Um, taking all that into account... Um, was that a product of him 
feeling the need to be the spokesman, not just for the team, but for the country. Yeah, and kind of, I don't know whether, they, I mean, obviously they are underdogs for the final as well, but it's to, to create that kind of siege mentality as well. And I don't think they're... It, our press were, were that bad. We were optimistic more than anything else. There was no real... We, we all knew this was going to be our toughest test of the tournament. And there was a joke in us about that it's coming home stuff, wasn't there? Yeah, it was. It was like, uh, it's coming home, but if it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much. You know, there's no recriminations, there's no effigies hanging from lampposts, you mm. know what I mean? It's Yeah, I think people from the outside... I, I certainly I did a, an interview with a Danish newspaper a couple of days ago, and they kind of want to know, you know, are you... Are you being serious about this? You know, is it sort of is it arrogance? It's like, well, no, it's just something that's happened, and we've ran with it, and we, we, we've we've took it on rather than just uh, yeah. Ex it's not expectation; it's just hope and optimism. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation in the early hours of this morning with a football uh, fellow, an agent who specialises in in European football, and we were talking about the reasons for Croatia's mental strength in sport. And the sort of discussions we were having was along the lines of, look, this is a country created by war. Mm. That type of experience, very recent experience, almost creates an innate mental strength. Do you think that comes across in football? Absolutely it does, yeah. Um, you don't play three lots of extra time and end up victorious each time without it. Um, I, I don't think it's a conscious thing. Um, I think it's completely subconscious. It's effectively tricking your mind, tricking you into thinking you've still got physical effort there, when by all intents and purposes, you should be out of physical effort, you should be out of energy. Um, and it also means that when times get tough, you are hardwired as a person to think, well, I've got to make the best of this situation. And in a football sporting sense, making the best of a situation is to, right, pull our socks up, coming together and we'll fight and we'll win this game and of course it doesn't always work but it's it's how you become great in the sum of your parts which is absolutely you know even though they have the best midfielder in the world in my opinion they are still far greater than the sum of their parts mm. Croatia mm. yeah I, I spent a little bit of time in Croatia and um, a place called Novigrad and there's an absolute wealth of talent there there's so many players playing below even below their top uh, their top leagues they've got so much talent and like you said, it's they ally that with a little bit of grit, and it's about you know as much as we you know we talk about the young players in England, it's about having that opportunity and being able to to, to show what they can do. And in some of the Balkan countries, the you know the leagues are won as much in the boardroom as they are out on the pitch. You know, so it's 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 a different. It can be a difficult environment for players if they don't play the game within those uh, within the infrastructure of the clubs. And a lot of them are ex outspoken players, and you know they, they they don't want to conform to that. So it's uh, it's difficult for them to to progress sometimes. But I tell you what, the, the talent set, and it's not just the um, touches in football. I watched a lot of handball when I was in Denmark. They've got a, one of the world's best handball teams, which obviously lends itself to producing good goalkeepers. And they're uh, yeah, it's for a small country. You know, there's lots of other countries around us at the moment who could take a leaf out their boot as well. Mm. To the final point, looking back to the 1998 final, two Zidane headers from corners against Brazil. Is that an omen in this is what has been the set-piece World Cup? It wouldn't surprise you. Um, for all their openness in games in this tournament and in all of Mbappe's attacking talent, it was a Samuel Mtiti header that beat Belgium. No, it wouldn't surprise at all. Um, I think it's a very different 
feel this final in that France are heavy favourites uh, and obviously before the pre-final Ronaldo kind of hoopla, Brazil would have, Brazil were clear favourites for that final. So it is a different one and, and France, as I say, year 2016 didn't deal with the tag of being favourites well at all in their home country. Maybe it would be different in Russia. Do you expect France to win? Yes, I do, yeah. Dave? Yeah. Me too. I tipped France before the tournament. They'll come of age on Sunday. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.